Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Podcast, and today I have a guest with me, and it's Chris. Chris, how you doing, man? Doing great. How are you doing, my friend? Doing good. Thanks for uh, joining on me here. I can't. I, I can't wait to have a discussion um, with you. Now, before we get started, stuff. I always like to obviously have some backer stuff. But where are you out of right now? I'm in the DC area. I'm okay. In the DC area. Perfect. East Coast. So uh, it's been a crazy year, and I really am interested. You know, over the last year, so particularly where people are at, how things went down. Because it. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's just me, maybe not to you, but it seems like, you know, the country, as far as what they went through and everything, economically, everything speaking, it was very different depending on where you were in the States. Um, so I was kind of shocked when we went around. I was like, oh, this is a whole different, almost like a different world. It was it was so different than how things were being done or handled where I was at. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it was nutty. I was, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, I have a bunch of different businesses all in the real estate world, but I have like well over six figures every month that goes out in overhead. And so when I heard the world was shutting down, I was like, Dan, uh, like if I don't sell anything, I, I mean, I've done really well for myself, but you know, when you're paying six figures and not bringing any money in every month, like that money runs out really quick. Really quick. <laughs> yeah. So, so my wife and I were like, man, what are we going to do to take care of our people? So yeah, that's, uh, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Did you have to end up going through major layoffs or were you able to do okay through it? Um, yeah, no, that, uh, um, thankfully we ended up having the best year we've ever had, but man, we had a scary, scary little run, but yeah, just a, a tough, yeah, it was just tough. It was yeah. tough. Yeah, and now it's, I think that was universal across. You know, it was weird even at the beginning, you know, when you're trying to figure out how to plan and how to understand where to go. It's like you're trying hard not to make knee-jerk reactions in a time where that's all everybody was doing. It was like, you're sitting here going, I'm trying to keep a cool head. I'm trying to make progress. I'm trying to make plans. But there's nobody that is like the government's not doing that. The government's just knee jerk reaction. Nobody was. So that makes it really hard for an investor, business owner, entrepreneur to say, I'm going to execute a strategy when I don't even know what the rest of the world's doing. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm seeing. And that's where I'm just seeing this, like, it's just nutty. So, so for us, um, when it, when the world was shut down, we like, I don't know about you, but when my back's against the wall, that's when I work the hardest and um, not necessarily the smartest, but just, man, yeah. I just, I need to do something. So that's the way I really 100%. stress. So I just went at it and um, yeah, we just saw, I mean, the, it just was great. So I've got, um, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a number of different businesses around real estate. You know, my, I've got a retail team. That's my main uh, that's my main engine driver, but I also do flips and wholesale and buy and hold. And I've got a coaching business. I've got a, uh, a mortgage business. I've got a, well, our family has a mortgage, a mortgage like lending business. 
Uh, our, well, my, my wife really runs that. And then uh, an insurance business, a title business. So basically all in this legal shield, all these different things, all based around the, uh, um, you know, the real estate agent business. So that's kind of the, uh, the whole thing. So when the agent business shuts down, all of the other leads and all the other deals kind of just kind of go that, that way as well. So it's a little crazy. Now you saw kind of a, obviously I think most people did a great pause, but things really picked up quickly after that. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah, no, it was, it was crazy. I mean, we had the best year we we could have dreamed of last year. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. Which yeah. is hilarious because I can't tell you how much we're seeing that across the board from other owners. But they're like this. It was all time, all time record. And, you know, it, it, one thing, you know, as a business owner, entrepreneur, investor, I'm like, oh, that's good. But at the same time, it's also scary because everybody's hitting all time records when the world wasn't even working. The economic engine was shut down, which just means that's what $9 trillion does when the government hands it out. <laughs> it's like, well, we're, we're going to keep going here. Um, and, you know, what are your thoughts on on that? What are your thoughts on sustainability? Um, you know, you're, you've got you're involved in so many aspects of uh, the real estate business. Yeah, well, I mean, my, my whole thing is I feel like you know, the government, you know, we see that uh, 40, 40% of four out of every $10 that are in circulation right now have been printed in the last six months. And so what that has done is push everybody to hard assets, gold, silver, real estate, even cryptocurrency, which, yep. you know, isn't able to be debased by just printing more. And although, I mean, people mine it. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know enough about it, but that's, that's what I'm seeing, um, you know, just as I'm, I'm reading and, and that's what everybody's telling me. So. That's, that's what, what I'm seeing. And so that there's this big push to real estate. So the crazy thing is, in my opinion, when the government was trying to help, what they did instead was, uh, they were trying to help people by, by printing money, give stimulus money. But what it did is made anybody that had real estate, anybody that had hard assets, much wealthier. And those that didn't have much poorer, because even what they had, their dollars became a melting ice cube. And so, you know, my, one of my favorite comments, it was, you know, not to get too political, but like, you know, Ronald Reagan, when he, uh, he said the scariest words in the human language is I'm here, I'm, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. And uh, so I, I see that and I see what happened was it's just this push to real estate and those that have it got wealthier and those that didn't, didn't. And I I don't think it's ending anytime soon. Now is the time to, to continue to double down and make sure that you have hard assets and that your your net worth is, is tied to hard assets like real estate. No, I, I couldn't agree more. It, like when I talk about it, I'm like, inequality is largely more of a regulation and government function than it is actual marketplaces. Um, when you look at inequality in the United States, particularly in the last 10 years, Virtually all of it's been spurred upon by massive government intervention where they're trying to counteract deflation. So they're they're devaluing money because they're taking on debt. They need it to. And they're propping up asset prices. So obviously those who own assets get more. But then it's also frustrating. Then the government comes back and says, oh, all this inequality is because of entrepreneurs and business owners. And you're like, wait, what? Hold on here. I'm just playing the game. You're the one that's making this, you know, screwing this all up. So I, I definitely know, you know, exactly what you're talking about there. And it, it is scary because then, too, the government's in a position. And what do you do? 
Right. Right. No, absolutely. And then that's, that's just it. So, so yeah, in my opinion, I feel like now's the time, you know, there's, you know, there's a time, there's a season for everything. Now's the time to work hard and, and collect as much as you can and do well. I mean, it's a gold rush and, and now's the time to, to run and, and, and really do it. And so for everybody that's not, um, that's not doing any business now, I, I just would say this massive and perfect action. Just go find, find stuff, do it, run hard. You know, I just say this, like there's, there's two different pieces to it. It's activity and skill, right? Yeah. So if you want to find, if you want to find houses, talk to enough people, right? You yeah. don't even have to be good at what you're saying. If you talk to enough people, yeah. something will fall in your lap. But mm-hmm. then what happens when you, when you work on yourself and that skill get better at what you're saying, then it just, it gets a lot better. And so for me personally, uh, I spend um, 10%. Now I need to up what I'm, I'm spending, but uh, I spend over six figures a year, which is 10% of my take home um, on personal development, because I think that it's it's the right thing to do to pay for speed in this business, right? Because yeah. if it takes me a year to learn something, to, like if I could go back five years and pay a hundred grand, 200 grand, if I could pay a million dollars right now to, to be the person I am today, five years ago, I would pay that without even thinking twice because I know, um, I know that the person I am today would have gotten to where I needed to go a lot faster. And in this business, there's just so much money to be made that it's just, it's foolish to try to learn on your own and try to figure it out. Like all of us can figure it out but we should pay for speed, right? If somebody has already looked around the corner, like do it, you know, hire coaches, hire mentors, get in masterminds, like just do the things it takes so that people can show you the faster way to get where you want to go. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And what, what are you doing now? So like what, when you're looking out and you're talking about doing action stuff, where are the opportunities that you're seeing? What are you executing on? Yeah. So <clears throat> one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things that I personally do, um, you know, just, just, I'm always doing this is, um, and I actually have a number of podcasts on, uh, on wholesaling eight where I talk through like our, our whole model, but like, I'll give, I'll give kind of a, a three minute, uh, pitch of what it should look like. If you are bringing in leads, you have got to, got to, got to, got to, figure out how to monetize the leads that you're not monetizing now. So if you're a wholesaler, right, you, you, let's just say you're doing direct mail. Let's just pick any channel, direct mail, right? You're doing direct mail. You get 20 leads that come in out of the 20 leads of people raising their hand and saying, I want to sell, right? I'm ready to sell. One of those will probably, probably four of them will fit in your buy box and be willing to sell, you know, at a, at a deep discount. And one of them will be one that you can, you can buy. So what happens with those other 19 that raise their hand and said, I want to sell that maybe they want retail. Maybe they want to sell a little bit. They're still willing to sell under market, but here's the deal. If you don't have a tool for that, if the only tool in your, your system is I can buy in wholesale or I can buy and fix and flip, then you're leaving tons of cash on the table, which, you know, I'm calling it upside down wholesaling now, you know, like, like where, where people, literally have all these people that are going to sell and somebody's going to make money. It's just not you in the current system. You got to figure out how to partner with, in, in my opinion is with a real estate agent. Um, you, you partner with a great agent, 
And a lot of people do this, they do it wrong, in my opinion, um, because you know they've tried over and over and over again. Um, but if you find the right agent and use the right scripting and dialogue, and I'll be happy to share with you guys what that scripting and dialogue is right now, um, you can monetize all those leads that have just been sitting dead in your database. And to give an example, there is a wholesaler in my market, and this is how we really grew our business, was uh, we, we built this relationship with this wholesaler, and then we, we built this out, but there's a wholesaler in my market that was literally just leaving his, his leads to die in the database, and over the last year, we've been averaging sending them over $60,000 every month in referral fees. That's like 60000 every month. That's three quarters of a million dollars that have been monetized and activated that were sitting dead in the database. And I think this is the future of real estate, in my opinion. Now, the problem is most people just find a real estate agent, say, hey, you want to talk to an agent? Send it out there. But somebody that talks to an investor, they do not they definitely do not want just a real estate agent showing up at their house because their brother's uncle is a real estate agent. There's more real estate agents than there are listings, right? So you have to be able to have scripting and dialogue with people so that when the agent shows up, they don't feel baited and switched or you'll never ever have closings there and they'll never ever be able to monetize that, that those deals. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, it makes me think of, and you go back, as times change, you get to you know, if you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, you're just going to get the same results. Like you got to be doing things different. You got to go where other people aren't. Um, and I think a lot of people have the problem is they just want to use a system that's provided and they don't want to think outside the box or anything. But especially in markets like this, there's just that's that's definitely not where you want to be. Yeah, and and here's the key: you got to understand that these sellers. They all called an investor or are talking to an investor for five reasons, right? Now, every once in a while, there's an outlier, but it's very rare. And so when you're talking, what I've learned is the people that make the most money are the people that solve the most problems, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you understand it, and if you can make the complex simple and boil it down to knowing that there's really five reasons why somebody is talking to an investor about selling, it's one, they don't want to pay a real estate agent's commission. Two, they want to sell quick for whatever reason. Maybe there's a distress situation. Maybe there's a job change. They need to sell quick. Three, they think their house is way too messed up to sell in the MLS. Four, they want privacy. Maybe they're a hoarder and they don't want their neighbors to see what's going on inside their house. Or five, they just want convenience. They don't want people coming through their house at all hours of the day. And if you know that almost every person you talk to is going to fall in at least one of those categories and sometimes two or three. And that's why they're willing to talk to an investor. Then you can talk their language and it's like a doctor. You can, you can see where their pain point is. You press on that pain point and then you write the prescription so that you can solve that pain point. And you know what? The people that solve people's pain, those are the ones that make a lot of money. <laughs> Same formula we use to find off-market deals, everything else. It's you're, you're diagnosing, you're finding pain points, problem. And two, you make a good point. You think that a lot of these assets and everything, they're just traded. They're, if it's not on the MLS, it doesn't exist. And that's not true at all. That's not how it works. Um, and there's lots of reasons and motivations somebody doesn't want to go traditionally through. And I'm dealing on a huge project right now where he won't work on traditional means. So we're trying to take it down um, completely off market and, and get it done. And lots of times those ones, like you said, they are a little more, I don't even want to say complex, but maybe more work, maybe harder or maybe a problem. But that's where the gold is. That's where you find the real value that's being overlooked. 
Right. Right. No, I mean, that's it. That's it. So how'd you get started in real estate? So I was on staff with an organization. I I graduated from from college, got married. I was staff with an organization called Young Life. I love Young Life. It changed my life. It was incredible. But I lived in the D.C. area. I made $20,000 a year. And when my wife got pregnant in the early 2000s, I was like, man, I cannot survive on $20,000 a year. And we were going to have her stay home with the kids. And so I went to the library because it was uh, before Google and (laughs) checked out every book on investing. And one of my phrases in life is massive and perfect action, right? So yes. I just I just went and started knocking on doors of every distressed property I could find. And in four months, I made 12 times what I made in a year. And I was like, dang, this is awesome. And, you know, I still love ministry. So I kept doing ministry and kind of backed away from the investing stuff. I bought the house we're in now, um, you know, and, and kept doing that. Well, I ended up having more and more kids. Um, you know, I've got six kids now, which... I'll tell you, I should have gotten a TV or a hobby or something. But, uh, but you know, well, heck, that makes me feel better because I have four. So okay, so you know, you know, so you're outside the range of a regular car. Yes. You, four, you you got to have the big ones. Um, so so yeah, like you know, anybody with lots of kids knows it's just the money just goes away fast. And so I always led in, in ministry. I always led large teams. I actually went back to school and got a doctorate in leadership. And so so when I I came across Gary Keller's book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, and I was like, man, it, like it just my my life, it just came alive to me. And so I started building a retail team. Um, but since I had gotten started in the investor world, I just went back and um, and and thought, man, I should be doing these these deals myself. So I started doing some of my own deals. Well, we started building a retail team. It grew really fast but I started hitting glass ceiling. And so I thought, who are people who have lots and lots of leads? And so that's what I told the story earlier. Uh, I thought like these investors are paying tons of money for leads, but they're just sitting dead in their database. And I know how to speak to these people because that's the world I came from. So I started developing scripts and dialogues and all that stuff. And it was funny because I went to the, probably one of the biggest wholesalers in our area, probably one of the biggest in the country. Um, And I just started, banging on their door, asking them. They kept saying, no, no, we don't want to spend time on it. Uh, and you know, just to finish the story I told earlier, um, what happened was I just, because I kept persistence breaks resistance, right? So I just kept knocking on their door, giving them a call. And so finally they sent me 150 leads. And uh, I knew that the person they were working with before, they sent a thousand leads. She closed six deals. She's one of the top agents in our area. And uh, and they're, they're just like, it's not worth our time. And so I'm like, okay, they give me 150 leads. I got to close at least six with 150 because this other person closed six with a thousand. Well, I get into it. 70 had already closed with another agent or investor. 30 were out of area. So I had 40 leads that I, that I could close. I got six of them closed out of 40 and I called them up and they're like, wait, you got six closed with those? I'm like, yeah. They're like, Chris, we liked you a lot, but we, so we didn't want to be a jerk, but you were like literally annoying us to death. So we just sent you leads. We pulled five-year-old leads. Those are five from five years ago. And you closed six. Are you kidding me? And so they're like, come in, come in. So I came in, we met, we started, uh, they started giving me a whole lot more. We started building it out, uh, you know, together really, um, started building it out. And you know, that's, that's what turned into where we, my retail team was sending them over 60 K a month. And then we started just building it out more and more. You know, I've got a couple expansion locations. And so that's kind of the stuff that, uh, that I do, you know, is, is like 
this is it. You know, this is the whole thing is how do you monetize those dead leads? How do you do this upside down wholesaling where these deals that are not in your buy box? And what, what year was this when you started? Oh, so I built my retail team in 2000, December, 2014. I would say it was like probably 2018 when, when, um, I built, started building that relationship. And then, um, over the, it took about a year to really, really evolve into what it, it's, it's evolved into now. Um, because I was doing almost everything myself and, uh, probably it was, it took about a year for me to be able to, to get good enough where I could teach it to, to the people on my team so that we could grow that out. And yeah. Just build like a that. script and yeah. Learn my scripts, learn how to, so how to, to get them set right, all that other stuff. Yeah. So here, walk me through this again. I'm sorry. I'm writing kind of some of the stuff that you started what year? Uh, so December, 2014 was when I okay. started building my retail team. Yeah. And then you spend a year perfecting it. You're getting everything done. You're hiring on teams. You're you're kind of building up your funnels, your processes and systems. Um, you know, you. How is that business today in a market that is obviously considerably hotter than when you got started? Like, is there a difference? Like, I, I'm always interested to know. Like, what is the benefits and downsides in a market at this point in the cycle versus another point in the cycle? For you. Yeah, so here's the thing. I mean, I think there's just always opportunity. So last year, my retail team did a, over 500 transactions, um, did a bunch of, I did a bunch of investment deals myself. Um, we, yeah, our volume was almost 200, like 170 million, which is like a massive number. If you're not in the agent world, like, you know, it's, it's just a really big number. So the crazy thing is there's so much more competition now but I think just like anything, you know, if you work hard to be the best, then then you're going to rise to the top, right? You're gonna you're gonna take market share uh, from other people, and I think that's true yeah. in the wholesale world, the fix and flip world, yeah. other stuff. Like if you are are good, but but here's the thing, I, I mean, me and my team we're always working on our craft, right? We're always like every day we spend a lot of time in training, script practice, yep. leveling up, yep. getting better at what we're saying. Where I'm always, 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 like I said, I spend over six figures a year in education and masterminds so that I can learn from other people that are, are learning. I mean, just this week alone, I got put in touch with somebody that uh, like just literally set me up with a guy who has a data source that puts me in front of people that are, it's just crazy. It's like not, it's not well known yet. Um, and he, he's keeping that in that way because he kind of beta testing stuff, but you know, just by these relationships that that you see by by being with high level people, and and honestly, you're paying to be in those rooms. It's like a fraternity, really. You're paying to be there. Yeah. But um, but you have to also earn your way in the door as well. Um, those those relationships set you up to really win. You know, it's interesting to me too how as time shift, opportunity shift. And that's why I like what you're saying. And, and I think it's a really important part about changing, getting better, improving. Because it, I was, I'm reading a book and they were talking about, I'm not a really big into mindset. That's not like, I, I you know, I grew up as, I, I think from a family of a bunch of rural Idaho farmers and they kind of carried that mentality with them. My dad was an insurance guy, but they still, it was like I, I was raised in the suburbs, but by parents who still thought we were farmers, right? And it was like mindset. Who cares? You wake up and get crap done. 
Like nobody cares about your mindset. Nobody cares what you're doing. Right. And it was, that's an interesting way of approaching it and looking at it. But what I always liked about that mentality and what I liked it, and I'm reading this book on mindset is that there's two ways to approach things. And I think they had in, in retrospect, they had a more of an abundance mindset as in, it doesn't matter what, if you want something, you go get it. If you want to make a change, you make a change. Nobody's handing it to you. Nobody gives it. Nobody gives a crap, right? And in life, things are always changing. And in the business world and the market, you know, they're changing so rapidly that if you're not investing in that time for you to get better, your knowledge, everything, you're just getting left behind. It's not that the world's going to keep moving and it's going to keep changing and you're not going to be able to spot opportunities. And two, it makes it into you're in this fixed mindset. So if it doesn't fit my opportunity that's within this box, I, I can't do it. But that opportunity may be gone and it may never even come back again. That method that you need to do, what you need to do to change it, you need to adjust. You need to be open. You need to be have more of an abundance thing where there's different ways to go about this and how do we – and that's just so important, especially right now. Like I think about lots of different asset classes. Oh, you can't – you know – the this sector is so hot or whatnot, but within that sector, there's all of these other parts that are being ignored. What, like once money's easy, money attracts certain types of assets. It also ignores other types, and there's all this opportunity. They just want it exactly how they want it, and that's not how it works. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting. I've got a, a really good buddy who uh, is from the Midwest, and his whole model is is work hard, work hard, work hard, and, and I love that about him. But I also think that if you were to spend a little bit more time sharpening the ax and looking for a better way, uh -huh. um, if, if you add that work hard and work smart at the same time, all of a sudden he'd be a world changer because he's yeah. got a work ethic second to none. I mean, yeah. nobody works harder than, than him and his whole family. It's like that is ingrained yeah. in him. But I don't know that he takes the time to, to level up and work smarter. Yeah. And so... I mean, I'll still, I mean, man, I'd take him on my team any day of the week yeah. because he's, he's the greatest. But I do think that he, just that culture of work hard, but not learn to work smart, not learn to, to cut that learning curve. Tony Robbins, I believe, says compress decades to days. You know, yeah. that, that, that is the real key there. Like, if yeah. you do that, you can learn so much. And, and the business we're in, is so crazy because the amount of money you can make by just small little tweaks is just it's huge. unbelievable. Yeah, it's huge. Well, and, and too, like you, you mentioned before, you know, I think when you're when you're talking about like work ethic, things like that, like if you have a really good work ethic, most of the time the people adapt. They learn because I, I don't know about you, but learning new things and trying new things tends to be way harder. Because it's easy to just keep doing the same thing that you know and get the same result and just say, oh, I'll just sleep less or I'll just do something else like that, right? That's easy because the result is known. But when you're dealing with learning new strategies, learning new tricks, there's all sorts of stuff. I could fail at this. I may suck at this. I have to go through all this work and get nothing for it except an opportunity that may arise. For me, I'm like, that's actually really hard work that a lot of people don't want to do. They expect something immediately in return. Am I going to get paid for this? Am I going to do like, and it's so hard for them to say, I'm going to do what I need to do to get paid, but I'm also going to work on learning new skills to adjust, to do things better. And that growth mindset really is what makes all the difference. Yeah. hundred percent. Totally, totally, totally. Now when you're like, it, tell me what States are you doing business in right now? So 
My, my main hub does DC, Virginia, Maryland. I live in Virginia, um, mm-hmm. 20 minutes outside DC with no traffic and an hour and a half with traffic and, yep. uh, outside DC. We also um, have a team in Baltimore and then we have a team down in Richmond, Virginia as well. Okay, so all East Coast? Yeah, 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 at this point. You know, we started to expand a little bit faster and I know there's a lot of my friends, um, uh, you know, Lauren Hardy, I don't know if you know her, but she, uh, she teaches a, a virtual wholesaling class um, that is really interesting. And I, I think virtual wholesaling is, is interesting, but I just personally like, I like to be closer to it. You know, I think about like the In-N-Out Burger guy, you know, he probably would have scaled so much bigger if he would have grown, but he said he wanted to be within driving distance where, where he was. And then, you know, yeah, all of that. But so, so I'm probably my own bottleneck right now, but I, at least for now, um, I think that's good. Cause I did scale a little bit faster with some, some expansion teams and they, they failed, they didn't yeah. do well. And so then as I'm doing it kind of, I think I've heard of it as like an eight block method, you know, just kind of, expanding out from the center hub it's been a lot better been more profitable just just working a lot better from there so that's kind of the uh the model we've been spending most of our growth time. is great oh. but growth also kills what's that growth is great but it also kills right. I've, I've seen and, lots of companies that were destroyed by their own growth and here's one of the big things you know for for me again i think i probably would grow faster if I wasn't as worried about it, but I really believe leading with revenue is one of the most important tenants of my business. And so I've got so many friends, I mean, so, and I'm sure you do too, right? The top line number is so massive. Like people are bringing in so much number money and their, their numbers, they talk about, you know, oh man, last, last month I brought in this much money, but they're talking top line, but they keep none of it. And so for me, staying profitable has been really, really important. So we have fought for massive profitability from day one, which has been really, really great. But when we expanded too fast, our profitability went way down. Way down. It's been work. Yeah. You know, this growth and profitability, it's um, growth can mask problems. And, you know, I see a lot of people that get in a, I think there's a book called The Growth Trap. I don't even know. But uh, it's when you're expanding and you're confusing growth with profitability. And I see a lot of people do that. And then what happens is that when times get hard, and they they always do, um, there's no base to fall back on. And that's when the house of cards collapse. And so first principles I'm big on. I'm big on first principles, right? And right. scale from there. And I love this idea of the ink block and blot and everything going. Well, let me ask you this. What, what are you seeing in the markets? Like, and what are you looking at for as far as opportunity goes in the next few years here? Where are you positioning your businesses? Like, give us some inside, inside thoughts here. Yeah, so, I mean, what I'm seeing, and again, I, I mean, I was just on a call today with a guy, um, you know, I, I think I shared a, a data guy and I think the future of real estate is this this quick offer type thing um, because of technology. I do yeah. think that that wholesalers, the way we know it, is going to disappear. Yeah. I think that uh, real estate agents, the way we know it, is going to disappear. I agree. Uh, I think this this kind of coming together of of the agent investor piece, which is what you know, I've just been standing on the rooftop shouting. You know, to everybody, we need to figure out how to do this mm-hmm. better and, and really let people know about it. But nobody's talking about it. Yeah. Nobody's really doing anything with it. But I'll tell you, just by the success we've seen in our market, 
I know that this is the thing. This is the way of the future. Yeah. Um, this is what technology is doing for us. And billions and, of dollars are chasing it to change it. Like it, it's, they're going. It's yeah. whether people want to accept it or not, it, it's going to happen. Yeah, Zillow, Redfin, like all these yep. companies are doing it. And so yep. if we don't figure out how to do this, we will get gobbled up by the big company. Adapt or die is kind of the whole thing. And 100%. everybody thinks that it'll always be the same, but you know, yep. once you talk to those taxi drivers in New York City, you know what? Yep. Like, like all these yep. people that are that are out there that are getting gobbled up by these, you know, other companies. Yeah, there's a big um, quote on a, a company I walked in, I was doing consulting work for, and they said it, I can't remember exactly, but it was something to the effect that um, the biggest companies in the world are not the smartest. They're not the most innovative. They're not, you know, all these different things. They're the ones that survived. And they changed and they were willing to adapt. And companies that can't do that they just bury themselves and then by the time they realize it it's too it's too far like by the time you realize i have to change or i'm gonna die that means you're already facing the impending death and by then it's it's too late because now infrastructure is shifted so the customers now shifted onto that infrastructure and so no i i couldn't agree more with you 100 percent. it's also though important to realize I, i like what you're doing from a standpoint, you talk about this innovation, you talk about this change that's coming, but you're still doing what you need to do to get things done. You're still doing everything, but you have one eye in the future. You're like, we got to be a part of this change. We got to adapt to it. Let's perfect what we're doing and see how this will adapt into it. Um, and I like that a lot because, too, you also have the problem with innovation that some people catch on too early. They, yeah. are, oh, we're going to go all in on this, and they're just a couple years too early. And then yeah. it just fails, and you're like, oh, if you would have just been two, three years earlier it would have been perfect and so instead of you're watching it you're ready you're ready to adapt you're ready to make moves you're not forcing it though you're letting it take place which means you're you're not got your head in the sand right but at the same time you don't have it in the clouds which that's a very hard balance for entrepreneurs and investors to get how do i not have my head in the sand but how do i not have it in the clouds that's really tough. And I think it's probably the nature of us entrepreneurs and investors and business owners. It's like either, you know, fight or flight for so much of everything we're doing. You wake up in the morning, emails, calls, everything. When you start to look at the future, it almost becomes that too. And that's exactly opposite of what leaders should be doing. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Oh, that's, that's crazy. Well, before we let you go here, um, I have a couple questions on your, so when you're, you're working in uh, the real estate, you're seeing all these transactions and everything go, what do you think is the biggest threat to the housing market? And then I'll follow up that with one question if you don't answer it in this. Yeah. I mean, biggest threat to the housing market. Hmm. Um, well, I think, you know, our, our economy is just a mess in shambles right now. It looks really, really good, but, but what the government has done over the last year yeah. is just horrific. Yeah. And I think there's there's going to be a consequence and it's coming. And we're starting to see some of that with inflation and some of the other stuff. The worst case that can happen, um, it happened right in the late late 70s. It was called stagflation. Where the economy stalled and they had inflation. And that really is the thing that I... I hope doesn't happen, but we start seeing that it, it could get really scary for everyone. But I'll say this, everybody's uh, nightmare is somebody else's opportunity. So, yep. uh, you know, if it falls apart, then, you know, for those that know how to find distressed properties, you know, there's still deals. Yeah. 
So how do you feel about buying and doing sales? Because this is the interesting conversation that everybody has. I'm out doing deals right now. I share your opinion completely. Um, I'm out doing deals. I was out doing deals in the middle of COVID, right when everything shut down and we were being told that literally everyone was going to die. Like they were showing pictures of bodies lying all over the streets in China, right? And they're just like, yeah, everybody's dying. And we're like, oh, well, we're, you know, it's over. Um, we were still buying deals then. We bought deals through the Great Recession. We bought, you know, how do you, because some people, they go, I agree. The economy's in shambles. We could have a rise in interest rates. We could have stagflation. So I'm not going to do anything, which I don't think that's the answer. What are your thoughts on that? How do you move forward, but not be dumb? Yeah, I mean, everybody's been saying the economy's going to crash for years for the last like five, six years. And I've got lots of friends that took all their money out five years ago. And yep. <laughs> they're a lot poorer because of it. Yep. So at this point, I just would say you got to move forward with the uh, the cards you go. Um, I mean, heck, I just bought a lake house today. So a new lake house. And and yep. um, we're going to be there and we're also going to Airbnb it. So we've got kind of both both pieces there. But on the other hand, I don't want to overextend myself. I want to make sure that I've got enough money stashed, stashed away mm -hmm. that, you know, I can protect myself if it, if it falls, you know, cause I got a lot of money in real estate. And so that's the whole thing. You don't want to get over leveraged, but you, if you don't, if you sit on the sidelines too long, you're going to be in trouble. You know, I, I think I, I heard Gary Keller say this. He's like, you want to know the difference between the genius in real estate and the idiot in real estate? It's like, the genius just held on to the property long enough. Right? Yeah. That was it. And I, I look at that and, and I don't think anybody will ever say that they talked to their grandfather and said that he said, man, you see that property over there that I used to own 40 years ago, man, I'm so glad I sold that 40 years ago. Like that just doesn't happen. The people that own real estate and own it for the long haul are the ones that are going to win. And, and I'll share one last little uh, analogy on that. Uh, well, analogy, more case study than anything else. I sold my townhouse to buy the house that I'm in now um, at the top of the market. Well, I sold it for 436 and uh, the next house that sold, sold in the mid threes, right? I bought my house, my, you know, that, the house that I'm in now, and then um, we're actually building another house currently, um, you know, which shows that I'm still <laughs> a little bit bullish on, on buying real estate. Um, but uh, you know, but the crazy thing is last year before the, the pandemic even went crazy, I sold another townhouse in that area and I sold for, I, I sold mine for 436. I sold another one, one street over from where my townhouse was for 525. So this is like, we went through the biggest falling off a cliff in real estate in a lifetime and it still went down and it's caught back up to where it sold almost a hundred grand more um, after that, and if I would have held on to it and had a renter paying off my mortgage, I would have owed something like, I don't know, just under a hundred grand on that house at that point. And I would have had a house worth like 525. So yeah. I got out, I made my money, but I thought it was genius because I sold at the top of the market. But at the end of the day, if you're able to just own it and hold on to it, that's where real wealth is built. Love it, man. Couldn't say it any better than that. That's freaking awesome well tell me this where can people get a hold of you where can people find you where should we direct people sure so i've got a website on uh you know our, so it's uh, wholesalinginc.com forward slash revive um so that so you can find find me see a little bit about 
about just what's going on there. You, I've also uh, have my uh, Instagram. So I've had so many people that were so generous with me. And uh, when I was learning, I would just reach out to anybody I listened to on a podcast and I liked their vibe. And so, so many people were so open with me and, and shared so much with me. So what I've said, at least until my inbox gets so flooded that I can't do it anymore, was that anybody that DMs me on Instagram, I'm going to respond to me personally, not, not one of my BAs or one of my staff. So I've been doing that. I, I actually have three in my inbox right now that I know I need to get to today. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, at least for now, that I'm going to do that because so many people were doing that with me and helped me so much. That's how I want to give back to people. So my, my Instagram is at Cradrock, C-R-A-D-D-R-O-C-K. Uh, old high school nickname, so go ahead and make fun of me if you want. Um, but uh, at Cradrock. And so, yeah, if you DM me there, um, yeah, happy to do it. And I've also got a website, uh, chrisgraddick.com. You can, uh, um, I put a millionaire real estate, uh, a millionaire readers list. So just a list that I think anybody that's not a millionaire yet, but is aspiring to be one, um, just a reading list that uh, that's on there. Don't have to buy anything, anything at all. You just sign up, we'll email it to you, and uh, and that'll be on there. So awesome. those are, are some of the things I can do to kind of help add value to everybody out there. Wonderful. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and uh, get out there and kill it. And uh, you know what? We'll be ready for the next time we, we, we have a, another crash if and when it comes. <laughs> You ready? <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. This is awesome. Thanks, brother.